Welcome to Media Roots Radio, sitting down with Connor Habib and <laughs> sex worker, amazing author. Um, find him on Twitter at Connor Habib, uh, just at Connor Habib, right, Connor? Yes, yeah, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. Amazing. Um, so, Connor, you are jack of all trades, but I want to start off by talking about your recent article. Um, it was pretty provocative. It says, if you're against sex work, you're a bigot. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't come up with the title, but the uh, but the title is basically apt. Um, what it's about is a certain group of activists um, who they refer to themselves as uh, for debate, but they refer to themselves as feminists um, or neuroscientists, social scientists, that sort of thing that are against uh, porn and sex work of any kind. My problem with them is not that they have some sort of ideology or point of view. It's that they don't. Um, and the way that you can see that this is true, that they don't actually have an ideology, so you just sort of pick apart their tactics. They use the same exact tactics as racists, homophobes, and Islamophobes, and other bigots. And so it was really an article examining their rhetoric, not examining the sort of laundry list, which just goes on and on of fake facts, fake statistics, all these things that they cook up, but rather the kinds of tactics and strategies they use um, to attack sex workers and to attack sex work and pornography in our culture. It's interesting because I've definitely noticed that there's a schism in the left. Um, people who support sex workers and want them to be recognized by the state and and given resources um, and more independence so that you know they can manage their own work. And then there's another rift that kind of just says no sex work is legitimate. Um, it's all kind of this. Uh, manifestation of the patriarchal society that we're living in, where all women, I mean, basically, like, if you look worldwide, you know, the, the sex trade and the slave trade, it's all these con interconnected things. And it all goes back to this patriarchal society that we're living in. And really, what is your response to people who say, if we weren't living in that kind of oppressed society, there wouldn't be the need for prostitution. And that right now, women don't have that same agency, let's say, as men or in the line of work that you do. Well, I would love to live in a society that was not repressed or uh, oppressed sexually. Um, we don't live in that society. Um, and there's a pretty good indication that no matter what kind of society we have, um, sex work and sexual imagery will exist because it's a cross-cultural phenomena throughout history. Um, and not all of that is based on patriarchy. Um, there, I mean, pa patriarchy as an idea here is, first of all, a bit confusing as it applies to um, male sex workers and men, um, female clients, um, dominatrixes who are dominating their clients, that sort of thing. Um, my response would be that Perhaps if we lived in a society that was not oppressed or repressed sexually, we would uh, have sex work and pornography that felt and looked different. So let's work toward that. But uh, the idea of eliminating sexual imagery is something that we encounter erotically or eliminating uh, the very legitimate uh, occupation of selling time, of um, giving time and using that time to express our bodily autonomy to have sex with people if we want for money is uh, really wrongheaded. First of all, even if you don't agree with porn, right now, sex workers need help. 
right now, you know, it, it, you can look at this kind of utopian future and say like, yeah, in a voluntary society where everyone's like volunteering their body and everyone's working autonomously, like whatever, removed from the shackles of the system. Right now, we don't live in that time. And right now, like people are dying um, and getting abused and they need to be independent and we need to provide those services for sex workers and recognize them as legitimate occupations and provide that support and that community outreach so that's my whole thing is like it's kind of like the climate change thing <laughs> this is a really random sequitur but it's like people who are so obsessed with the fact that climate change isn't real i'm like I, I feel like you're looking at it wrong i feel like you can look at it and say even if it's not real shouldn't we still be caring about shifting over to alternative energy and like right. let's focus on how right now our planet's being destroyed and there are things that we can obviously do um but it seems like those people are just in complete denial i don't know yeah, I mean, there. Are, I actually think that um, feminists who um, and other people who might not call themselves feminists who are anti-sex activists. I call them anti-sex activists because sex makes sex work a special case for them. For some reason, sex makes it significantly different um, than any other trade, whether it's physical labor or mental labor or whatever. So these anti-sex activists um, have a lot in common with climate change denial. <laughs> they <laughs> they cook up facts. They ignore blatant evidence again and again from thousands and thousands of sex workers saying, I choose to do this. This is not forced on me. I'm not being trafficked. I'm not being pimped out. Um, these, these are the choices that I've made, whether they're in pornography or they're escorts or whatever. And so um, they, they, blatantly decide, they willfully decide to not see the reality of the situation. Now, climate change is more complex than this. So um, they might be even worse than climate change deniers in that sense, because this situation isn't really that complex. And so what you're saying is totally right. It's like we need to help people on the ground with labor rights. We need to help them from being abused by the police. We need to help... Um, in, in, if you want to take it to a sexual liberation level instead of a labor rights struggle, because I think they're both very important, um, we need to help people stop feeling ashamed about wanting to have sex, ashamed about their desires, ashamed about anything that might look different than this sort of 1950s ideology, ashamed about their um, how they want to express their gender, how they want to express their sexual orientation, all those sorts of things play into reasons why people who are anti-sex activists and bigots have so much leverage because there's so much sexual shame already. So it's, it, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like a sort of fear factor kind of thing where, you know, they'll seize on things that they'll seize on sex and sexual shame to gain leverage in whatever can essentially conservative fundamentalist bigoted um, battle that they want to fight. I've always wondered how much sexual repression our society has to do with how fucked up we are. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, all of Europe is so much more sexually liberated than us. Um, there's a lot of places that already have, like, legalized prostitution in a lot of places. But then in America, not only are we living in, like, the most, like, materialist consumer culture in the world, where we're sold sex at every avenue, yet we can't see sex on TV. Butts are fucking blurred out. Like, if you're watching Braveheart, you can see the skull-crushing scene, which is is fine but you can't see a man's ass 
Um, and then, of course, you know, the Christian repression, this whole like background uh, meme that's always generated with our politicians and, and elite class that kind of perpetuates this conservative bullshit um, on us again and again. And I just wonder how much of that has manifested into society. What does that do to us when we're so repressed sexually and we can't talk about these things? Yeah, I mean, I think there are very definite links between like our own sexual, our personal individualized sexual shame and all that. And then the way that society as a whole represses sex. I wish, like you said, that sex sells. Sex actually doesn't sell, except in the case of pornography and uh, other forms of sex work where it's actually honest and there's an exchange of either sexual imagery or sex. What sells is arousal because what would be great is if you had like a pussy on a dick um, and you had uh, visit Burger King, right? <laughs> that doesn't happen. What you have is you have someone in a bikini, you know, you have a woman in a bikini um, who has a certain kind of body generally. And it's like, uh, by this computer, right? So first what happens is a company stimulates you to be aroused and then reroutes your arousal, not into consummation and actual sex, but into a product. And it's like, now buy our product. That's going to be your orgasm, you know? And it's aimed at men. It's aimed at women um, in, in, in all sorts of ways. And so that to me is very dehumanizing in a way that pornography and uh, prostitution could never be. At least those take into account the entire person. They let you come. They let you encounter sex itself. But these are, here's your feeling, and that feeling is linked to our product. Um, I, I think that we, I don't know, and that doesn't necessarily mean I'm advocating banning ads like that. I just think that we need to be more aware of what it is we're seeing when we see it. Yeah, it's obviously preying on the on the repression. You know, it's it's trying to get that to make you shift your your sexual repression over to like consumption, which is just really disgusting. Let's shift over to the recent victory um, in the Supreme Court. Um, it was incredible. I mean, it was an incredible victory. But we've had conversations about it, Connor, um, just about you know you've you've had some interesting theories about just the connection to the the AIDS struggle, the AIDS epidemic, and and also just the broader issues of of the conservative institutions that have pushed forward these mandates and and you know the gay rights movements maybe capitulated the establishment to get these victories. Yeah, well, I mean, historically, if you just want to look at it, I mean, one of the biggest popularizers of gay marriage in our culture is uh, Andrew Sullivan, who has written some interesting things. I don't think Andrew Sullivan by is all bad in the sense that he's raised some provocative issues. He's done some real work, but gay marriage is really popularized by him. And he also said that anybody sort of questioning um, after September 11th, having like real questions about military intervention in action, were traitors to the country. You know, I mean, he's essentially, you know, uh, this McCarthyist in a lot of ways, he's conservative in a lot of ways, but he's just one of the many people that just have like tons of money that have push this agenda of marriage forward. Now, I think if people want to get married, great. I think it's fine. I think that once we start linking marriage to the state, we have some real problems. I mean, I think that we can see historically that this is the oldest um, sex slave trade of all time is marriage. Um, the way that it enforces and it enforces imprisonment of people in certain kinds of relationships and blackmails them by saying you're going to lose, you're never going to have certain rights, and then you're going to lose rights if you decide to exit this relationship 
relationship until you exit it, until you enter into that kind of relationship again. This is a perfect um, instance of the government mandating what kind of relationship we should be in, which is ironic because people that were fighting for gay marriage were saying, we want our rights. Like we don't think the government should be discriminating in what of who can be in love or what kind of relationship constitutes love. But in fact, that's what marriage is for anybody that decides not to get married. So I think it's more like it, it, it has less to do with my objection to marriage. I think everybody should have the rights of married people. I think we should have the rights of married people, whether we're married or not, whether we decide to enter into that relationship or not. And those rights should be available to us. We should have the right to see our lover in the hospital. We should have the right to adopt kids. There are other pathways to these things that don't um, that don't relate to the government saying you be in a relationship to people and then we approve of that and we give you what essentially are special rights, unfortunately. The the best thing I think could happen with gay marriage would be the exact thing that conservatives harped on and feared the entire time, which is the total erosion of marriage and the sort of separation of the state and our loving, caring relationships. That would be awesome. And that's what, whenever conservatives are afraid of something, I'm for it. Like gays in the military, they've argued on and on about how when gay people join the military, they would uh, erode the military's ability to act effectively, efficiently, and to kill other people because gay people would mess up the morale because the soldiers would be having sex with each other. They'd be in love with the enemy, all that kind of stuff. That sounds awesome. Like what? Like that fear would be the greatest thing that could ever happen. So if that happens because gays are in the military, then I'm all for it. You said something about the, the gay marriage thing that I really liked. You said... I wish it wasn't gay people getting straight people's rights. It was yeah. like, these should just be the rights for everyone. And I think it's just really unfortunate that the state has procured these special rights that you have to get married to attain them. It's complete and utter bullshit. I mean, it's it's just based on religious um, myths and also just a bunch of like antiquated things that just don't apply to our society anymore. And it's just sad that that's, that's the route we have to go to get those rights. As far as the military, it's really funny that they would say that because um, there's so much fucking rape in the military. There's so much aggression and it's not only women. I remember I interviewed this one guy who said that the rape against men in the military is so high and it's so underreported. Like the stats are just unbelievable. And like raping, you know, sodomizing with poles and equipment and guns and, and all those things. So fuck that <laughs> like right. i'd much rather have open love than than just aggressive sodomy and rape from these sadistic motherfuckers that are being trained to just dehumanize every living creature that they see so that's insane but yeah what what were you saying about talk about just the movement from stonewall to where we are now and how trans rights fits into the fray yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up, Abby. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, tr traditionally the radical, the sort of radical gay rights movement, which started, you know, with Stonewall, but was going on mm -hmm. before that. There was a lot happening before Stonewall um, and a lot of really amazing thinkers that sort of get overlooked. If you want to look into Walt Woodman and Edward Carpenter and these just sort of crazy people who wanted to revolutionize what love looked like, um, they're really good places to go to find real radical critiques of how love is supposed to appear in our culture. And that 
it existed in sort of this Stonewall era sentiment where a lot of it was anti-marriage. It was like, we don't think people should have to get married. That's one of the best things about being gay is that, that we, we have, uh, we have a different relationship towards sex. We have a different relationship toward each other. We have a different relationship toward the idea of the expectation of getting married and having kids. So how about the rest of the culture takes that and learns from that instead of us just sort of getting on board and getting shoved into this um, essentially repressive and oppressive system, which, by the way, is coupled with monogamy, which is another huge problem that messes people's lives up all the time. Not that I'm against monogamy, but as a default, a cultural problem for people. Um, if it weren't, it wouldn't be the subject of every movie, song, book, whatever. So, um, so then you have that, you know, you have this whole vibrant gay culture that is... Uh, really involved in the arts, involved and allied with radical politics, all that. And then um, there's an AIDS epidemic uh, coupled with an epidemic of pharmaceutical companies probably killing people with experimental and approved AIDS, uh, HIV medicine. What? Bayer? Oh, debate. I don't. I, I'm not sure about Bayer's connection to it. Um, but there are. I mean, if you've seen Dallas Buyers Club, you know what I'm talking about. It's not conspiratorial. It's a sort of much talked about thing in the gay community that lots of people died from taking AIDS medications. That that doesn't mean that they wouldn't have died in some other form or some other fashion. But that image of people wasting away on the bed a lot of that has to do with azt as much as it has to do with um as as much as it has to do with aids related um diseases meaning diseases that people got after their immune systems collapsed so so anyway we have that and it just wipes out this whole vibrant culture of people who are artists thinkers philosophers radicals all that kind of stuff and then after that suddenly this sort of thing, this conservative version of the gay rights movement starts to uh, rise up and become more and more popular. Part of it was visibility. Part of it was people being like, oh, gay people, because everybody was seeing gay people die. So like, oh, gay people exist and they're suffering. And so that brought some visibility to the people who had survived the epidemic. So that part is really important. And I think brought a lot of compassion for gay people along with it. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's something a friend Leibowitz says. Um, she says, you know, I, I, I don't know if she says it in these exact words, but she's like, I would almost say that gay marriage is post, basically post-traumatic stress disorder from AIDS, meaning there's this huge backlash to enter into conservative, monogamous relationships, not ally yourself with radical politics, divest yourself of any sexual guilt you might feel by becoming a more normalized citizen. And that's where we're at today, where gay still means a lot of things, but it's lost it's really radically aligned political value. And so now that's why you have a lot of people that are saying they're queer now. Um, that's why queer people are allied with trans people a lot more often than gay people just being allied with trans people. When the gay rights movement, the HRC excluded the human rights campaign, which is calls itself, which also supports Monsanto as one of the biggest, <laughs> as one of the best corporations for gay people to work for. It's actually called the human rights. I mean, it's, how can it be human rights if it's the HRC? You know, it's like, it's so ridiculous. Uh, human rights campaign. Did I call it corporation? Oh, did I? <laughs> um, so 
the Human Rights Corporation. <laughs> it's the best contradicting in terms. So anyway, you have the HRC excluding trans people from its agenda. You have um, gay people when gay marriage is finally popularized. You have all these gay dudes at the White House and Obama's giving a speech and some trans person starts chanting, a trans immigrant starts chanting for trans immigrant rights. And all the gay people boo her. They say like, get out of here. They call her names. They call her transphobic names. They hold up their phones. Like they're yelling, Obama, Obama. And it's because we've been exploited, abused, and manipulated by a system that could, would love to take the fact, take powerful, um, a powerful lobbying group that's had some success in some areas and just completely co opt us. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, you know, Monsanto, Chase Bank, all of the, uh, gay pride events are just like sponsored by giant corporations monsanto chase it's just really surreal but and drone manufacturers i think was one of the biggest um supporters of hrc but once again i mean there are you know tens of thousands of couples who have been waiting their whole lives to get married and i don't want to invalidate like a huge leap forward but at the same time it does show you the marginalization and disenfranchisement of certain parts of the lgbtq community which is now you know trans rights are on the forefront i mean we keep couching this thing this is like well i don't want to deny that some people are now able to get married to be in love to be in love in the way that they wanted to be in love or structure the relationship i think that that's great i think that's fine i think what we should have been doing what our failure as the gay rights movement major failure in this so-called victory is that all along we were not advocating for a more complex view of what relationships could and should be who has the right to express themselves sexually and in, in love the way they want to being more inclusive of diversity um, being more inclusive of showing not just white male gay faces from most of the campaign um, all that kind of stuff if we would have done that all along this would have been a true victory but because we did not do it, now we have to dig ourselves out of our victory. And that's like people digging themselves out of, you know, um, all sorts of Pyrrhic victories in history where you get what you want and then you realize like, shoot, I pushed everything else aside to get here and now it's not what I wanted anymore. And so the interesting thing is more and more gay men are starting to say, wait, hold on, hold on. This is a little messed up. So I'm really heartened by that, that people are seeing it now. But a lot of us saw it all along and nobody no, there wasn't a major movement speaking up and saying something because politics demands that you flend any complexity that you flend any sort of like fr from the bone of your argument you know and it's it's ridiculous it's all linked together if we don't get through this together we're fucked like it doesn't matter like like now there's, you know, this huge push that you've probably heard of a pinkwashing, you know, when it comes to Israel, it'd be like, well, look, in the Middle East, it's the one place where gay people can be themselves. First of all, that's not true. There are plenty of Middle Eastern countries where gay people could be themselves. It's a little different in every country. And maybe the, some countries have official laws where others don't. But I really don't give a fuck. Like right. what what israel is doing for gay people <laughs> if it is killing gay palestinians if it's killing lesbian and trans palestinians like it's not as if they don't exist right. there's no gay people in the gaza strip like it does I, I it's like the idea of like linking these issues together doesn't occur to people until it's too late because they get so focused on their victory and we need to keep it all we need to keep everybody in mind when we're moving you know 
Yeah, no, exactly. It's just like the Confederate flag debate. Like, yes, the flag's taken down and it's amazing. It doesn't change the decades of systemic and institutionalized racism and discrimination in this country. So, yes, the gay marriage thing, incredible victory. Let's keep fighting in the trenches because we got a lot of a lot of shit to do. A long road ahead. Housing discrimination, job discrimination. I mean, if you're transgender, um, there's many, many states, including here in LA, uh, a tax rose 84% in the last two years just against trans women. And this is a really liberal city. So if, if it's that bad here, I keep thinking, what is it like in the rest of the country? We have, we have a lot of institutions that are super um, discriminatory and it's about addressing a lot of different deeper things. Let's shift gears. That was an amazing <laughs> conversation. Uh, let's shift gears to now some political stuff. Um, you have been really i mean you're you're also really into politics you've been following everything you're syrian you're half syrian you're you've been following the charlie ebdo stuff you're a member what was the organization called pen pen america America. so that's the organization that just kind of praised charlie ebdo and gave them the award like this pillar of freedom award or whatever um and i just wanted to talk about you know islamic fundamentalism and how kind of it fits into this like perception and and it goes back to this leftist movement like the schism within the left of people who are like the new no it's not even the left i wouldn't call new atheists the left it's that it appeals to like liberal ideology yeah it appeals to like people who who think that they're you know intellectuals and stuff so you have the sam harris's you have the richard dawkins who basically are attacking islam all the time and it's like appealing to a giant base of people who are intellectuals yeah if sam harris and richard dawkins and daniel dennett and these people actually cared about human beings and their lives they would attack the religion of the state they would attack the religion of corporations they don't do that they don't care at all what they what i mean Look, Richard Dawkins is a relatively intelligent person. I can't say the same for Sam Harris. He's a dumbass. But I think that I think that I think that Richard Richard Dawkins is a relatively intelligent person who had some like interesting and creative ideas that are probably wrong about evolution. And 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 you know, there are this whole group of other people, but the, the, you don't find them expressing it's like the pro-life movement. If pro-life people really cared about life, wouldn't they be trying to end wars? Wouldn't right, they be right, trying right, to end right. torture? Wouldn't they be no, because their idea is as the the thing that overrides everything is my conception of this f- fetus. Their conception of religion as the not only is it reductive and stupid as the the boogeyman that like is the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. I mean, let's talk about Monsanto. Let's talk about Mao. Let's talk about Pol Pot. Let's talk about all these other instances. Is religion an oppressive force when it's organized and utilized by people in power? Sure. So is everything. And I. I don't really understand why these people keep harping on religion, 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 when it's like, how about like you recognize sometimes yes, sometimes no, you know, but it's not like that. They become the same foot stamping Jehovah's that they like rally against all the time. You have to believe in me. I'm the one you have to believe in. You have to believe in everything I say. And it's just colonialism. These people who, (laughs) I'm going off, but these people who 
are saying the same thing as colonial imperialists. So it does not surprise me that Christopher Hitchens supports the Iraq war, nor does it surprise me that Sam Harris advocates torture or thinks that Islam should be like wiped out, any of that kind of stuff, which you can just translate into Arabs should be wiped out. Let's face it, Sam Harris. But it's it's colonialism for white dudes um so often even just British <laughs> the imperialist power to say like every culture that has ever existed throughout all history ever except mine is wrong and needs to be dominated and converted. That's colonialism. There's no doubt. How do you think, I mean, they, they like talking about the God of the Bible all the time. That's not the only God. There's the God of, there's the gods and the pantheons and the mythologies and rich lived in traditions of indigenous people, which have been killed by the same rhetoric, by, in the name of the same rhetoric again and again and again. So it's like, to me, it's just so clear it's an extension of colonialism. You know, I there's atheism that I think is really genuinely philosophically and compassionately concerned with the question of God's non-existence or the answer of God's non-existence and how to communicate that to other people. These people are not that. These people are colonialists and they don't care about other people. It's a really, really arrogant imperial attitude on the rest of the world. This like authoritative complex where they're looking at islam and they really zero in on islam all the time without without ever mentioning the fact that we're at the helm of a christian empire where we outsource like murder death squads blackwater at the and who's running that eric prince who thought that he was a christian like zealot who was tasked by god to kill arabs um bush jr said that god told him himself to invade iraq i mean what is the difference here just because it's institutionalized by the state but when you're looking at like the rise of like fundamentalist Islam in terms of ISIS or Al Qaeda, somehow that is so much more extreme because I guess they can't control it or like it's not civilized like religious murder, right? So it's just like this kind of haywire shit. And another really insane thing is they're not looking at the direct causal relationship between US foreign policy and war and the rise of fundamentalist Islam. What the fuck? If you look at like just every single event that the US has intervened in, Afghanistan, they were way more liberal before we sponsored the Mujahideen there and basically sponsored bin Laden's elk that had risen to, to what we know as the Taliban today. And then you look at Iran after the CIA coup. I mean, they had a democracy now, you know, or they had a democracy then. Um, and you can look at so many different instances. I mean, Saddam had a secular society. There were so many different factions that when you leave a giant vacuum of death, destruction, and fucking hopelessness, what's going to happen? People are going to turn to religion. And Islam, I mean, the reason that it's so strong right now is because we've de desecrated the entire area of the world where people have nothing else but their prayer. I mean, people in Gaza, what the fuck else do they have? They don't have fucking chocolate and pasta because Israel's put them on a goddamn diet. And you're not even going to give them Islam either. I, I <laughs> well, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think there's this, this obvious thing which you point out, which is that if you are really concerned with attacking or somehow contending with, if you don't want to use the word attack, contending with the problem of unthinking belief 
the worst possible thing you can do is create an enemy for believers to feel they are radicalized in fighting because people enjoy belief. They enjoy believing. No question of proof. No question of, well, here's how they structure it. Well, I mean, sorry, I don't believe in fairy tales. No one could ever walk on water, right? And so what the believer then says is, well, that's precisely why it was a miracle because it couldn't have happened, but it did. And then they feel themselves reinforcing and fighting this sort of view that's being pressed on them. And they find themselves enjoying like disarming those arguments, taking them apart. And when you have it combined with radical torturous, uncompassionate military intervention in a country and saying, don't believe in this, people are going to enjoy resisting. They're going to enjoy and think that they're radical. It's like how people who, a really great example in our culture is people that think that they're radicals for believing in intelligent design or people that think they're radicals for being patriots in the Tea Party. They're not actually radicals, but they've been encountering an enemy that tells them that their belief is a radical outlier so they become fixed to it and that's why Dawkins does not even understand and Sam Harris does not understand that they're contributing to the same problem it's like being Joker to Batman like they're creating an enemy that needs to constantly be fought yeah, that's why the whole ISIS thing is so interesting because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Look at, I mean, the power of nightmares. We've looked at the Middle East for so long and wanting ISIS to exist. Totally. And now it does. And they probably are just circle jerking 24-7, dude, with each other. Um, Dawkins tweet, you know, his tweets about rape. Sam Harris, you know, having this conversation about imperialism with Noam Chomsky and just looking, just coming out looking really bad. Um, it's interesting because I've never seen them say anything about neuroscience why are we like someone asked me to like to to go and debate sam harris and i was just like what is his foreign policy credentials like i i don't why would i debate him he's a fucking neuroscientist like i i'm interested to hear his expertise like in that field but as far as foreign policy and like an analysis of empire i'm not really interested and also i cannot debate someone who acts with like zero empathy like treats subject matters like He's, he's like a serial killer. I mean, you're talking about mass casualties so casually. Um, and when he talked about the comparison between like Islam's destruction and instating this caliphate and like their goal and, and comparing it to the U.S.'s goal of, of our intervention in the Middle East. And he was just saying there's moral ambiguity when you're looking at ISIS, when you're looking at the U.S., our morals are at the helm where it's okay that we accidentally kill maybe a million babies because we meant well, because we, we need to destroy ISIS. And, and that's the kind of bizarre twisted logic that's like total mental gymnastics because ISIS means well. ISIS is mentally ill enough to think that they're doing what's right, just like Hitler meant well. I mean, you can't like look at these in isolation in a vacuum and be like, we mean well and you don't. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, and I think with Sam Harris in particular, you can look at him as, um, I would almost call him 
apologies to Buddhists, but I would almost call him a Buddhist fundamentalist, right? This is what happens when you say you're going to take in spiritual principles, suck them dry for whatever they are worth to you and not take in any of the other lessons surrounding it. So Sam Harris's mindfulness, living in the present, whatever, you know, what could be more psychopathic than someone who lives in the present and gives themselves a pass for every single thing they do, accident or not accident, based on the fact that they didn't necessarily, either they didn't have free will or they just sort of made a mistake, but their intention was the right place. That's the definition of a psychopath. Like that's the definition of a sociopath. So that's what he is essentially. He might not have began as one, but he's trained himself through a form of spiritual bulimia, taking it in and puking out all the stuff that's valuable that can nourish him. And he's trained himself to be psychopathic. And so you know, it's like I, I think that I think that it's totally accurate that you say we look at these we look for these things long enough until they appear. You know, give someone um give someone a CT scan looking for cancer enough times and you'll give them cancer. I mean, our gaze is like radioactive for these places. Keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. Oh, there it is. Keep bombing, keep bombing, keep 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 supplying (laughs) weapons, keep pushing your anxiety into these places in the world. And suddenly, what do you know? You have an anxious growing tumor. And then stuff happens like the Charlie Hebdo massacre, which was really interesting. And you... You know, you um, sign on to a letter uh, basically just saying that you didn't agree with this award um, that was given to Charlie Hebdo. I mean, people fail to understand and people compared me to Pamela Geller, you know, the woman who's like the draw the Muhammad things with the Chris Kyle thing. That was so offensive to me because I was just like, first of all, you're calling Chris Kyle a deity for 1.6 billion people. You're actually saying he's on par. He's like the American fucking God. That's disgusting. Second of all, um, I'm not saying let's draw who can draw the best decomposing corpse of chris kyle i'm not holding a contest like that you try to it's not fucking daring and it's not pushing the envelope whatsoever you're just provoking a the most disenfranchised minority or not minority but i mean like segment of the population that's already been so discriminated against and fear-mongered against for so long it's like going into the bronx and saying like draw the biggest nose on a Jew or going into East Oakland and saying, draw like the biggest lips on a black person. I mean, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? And those aren't culturally or socially acceptable. They're fucking looked at as bigoted trash and they would be shamed. But unfortunately, because Islam is still the scapegoat, people think it's great that there's contests of drawing the Muhammad and they're encouraging them. And then they give fucking Pamela Geller a pass and say, look at poor her. Um, It's it's outrageous, but yeah, talk about that and talk about the Charlie Hebdo thing. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, lo- I love your, I love your long tangent. Um, okay. Well, first of all, freedom of speech without cultivating responsibility for speech in yourself is fucking worthless. I don't right. care if someone has freedom of speech, if they're not at the same time, doing work to understand what that means and how powerful it is. So as a culture, we do need to do a lot more work cultivating responsibility toward compassionate speech for other people before we start saying freedom of speech, freedom of speech. Of course, I support freedom of speech. I support it. The interesting thing to me is when everybody was saying about this Charlie Hebdo thing, okay, it uh, obviously 
am I on am I on board with someone going and killing cartoonists? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And when anybody said that and then continue to say, this is why I'm not for the award that they're going to receive, or if you want to pull it away from the award, like, and this is why that magazine is problematic. Editors of Charlie Hebdo and so-called defenders of free speech, like Salman Rushdie and Bill Maher and all that, they said things like, there is no but. When you say freedom, I support freedom of speech, or you say people shouldn't be killed, there is no but after that. And I thought, how dedicated are you to freedom of speech if I'm not even allowed to express the complexity of the situation um, freely? Also, how dedicated are you to there is no but when it comes to killing when you are actively supporting in many cases these people who supported charlie Hebdo are actively supporting bombing of other countries so how committed are you really that's something noam chomsky pointed out he's like the outrage that you people have about charlie Hebdo is insane considering the things that you have zero outrage about in our own country you know so he was like that was terrible and also it's terrible the things that you don't give a fuck about so for me my complaint was you, what you said, Abby, which is like, if someone comes into my town, and let's say I live in a gay community, someone comes into my town, they shoot everybody in my town that's gay except for me, and somehow I escape and I move to another town, and some journalist, in quotes, comes up to me and says, hey, faggot, I'm going to fucking punch the shit out of them. Like, I might lose it. I might lose my shit when they taunt me for the same thing that my relatives have been killed for. Like, it's just obvious to me. Now, then people say, well, Charlie Hebdo's actually not making fun of, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, SOS Racisme says, you know, this French organization <laughs> says that they're not racist at all. It's like, we just talked about the HRC before. I don't know, since I don't know the complexities of French culture, which I've been constantly reminded of after signing the letter, <laughs> how the fuck am I supposed to believe SOS Racisme? And how do you know what they're talking about? I know that HRC is a lauded, everybody yeah. loves them here, but they are a fucked up organization that supports Monsanto. You know, people don't know that shit. So how am I supposed to know anything about SOS Racisme, which I was told afterward by many French people is an extremely problematic, fucked up, make white people feel good organization. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's not true. I just go with what I see. When I see a magazine that issue after issue has objectionable content, you can explain it to me all you want. And I'll think maybe you're right. Maybe it's totally a great anti-racist publication in the same way that Family Guy is an anti-racist show and South Park is an anti-racist show. Do I think you deserve an award of courage for making that content and then being killed? No, I don't. Frankly, I don't. I think it sucks that you were killed. I think it sucks that we can't say whatever we want all the time. And I think it sucks that maybe I've misinterpreted your cartoons. Do I think you deserve an award of courage for any of that? No, that's the bottom line. You would not, Abby, say if someone gave you an award for wearing the Chris right, Kyle right. shirt and people coming after you, you'd be like, what about all the fucking shit I did? Yeah, yeah, what about yeah. all the good shit I did in my life? Why don't you award that? Why don't you award the activism? Or why don't you award, you know, the people that are resisting empire in these other countries? Why don't you award someone that wears a fuck the government shirt in Saudi Arabia? Like, why don't you give awards to those yeah, people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would not be like 
losing your shit and telling everybody they weren't for freedom of speech because right. like they didn't want you to get an award for that wearing that shirt that one time it's just really lowbrow it's right. just really lowbrow shit that isn't interesting to me and it's actually really offensive and i don't care if they're mocking the right or mocking fascists take on it's race lazy. and islam it's not only lazy but it's also not an equal playing field i think glenn greenwald wrote an article right in the wake of the charlie abdo thing where he was just like i'm just gonna print a bunch of cartoons um and here they are and they were just all extraordinarily offensive anti-semitic like anti-jew cartoons and it was like holy fuck like it was looking at them was so jarring and the only reason it was so jarring because you don't see them mm -hmm. because they're not allowed and charlie ebdo you can say till you're blue in the face that they were an equal opportunity offender but that's simply not true they fired a cartoonist for something that they did that was remotely like garnered as anti-semitic and i mean sorry but their publications did not display the same comparison between islam and judaism and christianity so no and when you keep prodding the most disenfranchised and demoralized segment of the population i just don't see what is so daring and courageous about that it's just it's the opposite if anything you should be criticizing empire and imperialism on a daily basis and then and then let's see what fucking awards you get <laughs> <laughs> and do it and do it in a, do it in a complex way like if you're going to take down your if you're going to take down racism islamophobia whatever the fuck you say you're taking down like how about not doing it with fart jokes how about not making uh, one of my objections was how about not making sex the villain where someone's right. asshole in the air is the way that you debase somebody or two guys kissing is the way that you reduce their power like sex should not be I mean I understand that there's a tradition of it but it doesn't have to be the butt of your joke I no, no pun intended and then I just made a joke about sex but it doesn't have to be a, the butt of your joke particularly when Hustler did it I felt okay with it be because they had so much sex positive content balancing it out does Charlie Hebdo have sex positive content balancing all that stuff out no it's a joke so you know as far as i know again i don't understand the complexities of french culture what i do understand is there are some complexities about french culture that are about the absorption of muslims into french culture in a way that has been detrimental to islamic to islamic culture belief and identity in that country and so i just think all I said by signing that letter, all a lot of us said mm -hmm. was, and I can't speak for everybody, but I know a lot of us felt the same way as Pan American members who signed the dissent letter. All we were saying was, don't stop the ceremony. Don't, you know, do whatever you want. I'm not a part of it. I'm just not a part of it. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't like this. I don't feel good about it. It might be too complicated for me to understand. And so I can't be a part of it. Um, so that, that was it. Yeah. And I, when we're talking about, you know, we continue to talk about how oppressed Muslims are. I mean, in this country, there's, it's ridiculous, but in France, it's a whole nother level of extreme. I mean, they, they literally have banned pro-Palestinian rallies. You can't do a pro-Palestinian rally. They've banned like controversial French comedians for quote, anti-Semitism. They have also banned the hijab. Um, and the, um, what is the other, the niqab. So this one French opera, this woman in a hijab or niqab was sitting in the front row. They had to fucking stop the opera because French people on stage were so offended by a Muslim that they actually had to stop and escort her out before the play continued. Yeah. 
That's the level of Islamophobia in France. I mean, we are talking about high alert. So I don't, yeah, I don't understand French culture. I don't understand how that level of bigotry is able to permeate and like grow. And give, and give some complex, I mean, give some complex, give some complexity and context to the situation. Don't, don't equate wearing the hijab in Paris with wearing the hijab in a place where female genital mutilation is taking place regularly, which are not always Muslim countries, by the way. But um, don't compare the oppression of Islamic women in the United States to the oppression of the, the oppression of Islamic women in Saudi Arabia without providing that context. I'm not saying there is none here, but provide some context for it. You know, don't pretend it's the same everywhere. You know, and similarly with atheism, don't pretend that atheism is a radical stance in England like it is if someone's standing up, you know, as an atheist in Pakistan. You know, there are different there are different contexts that mark how meaningful your form of resistance and your emphasis of resistance are. So don't pretend it's the same everywhere. Connor, where can people find you? What do you have going on? Um, anything else you want to close up with? Um, give a shout out to your website and all that. Oh, <laughs> um, not too much going on right now. I mean, there's lots going on, but not a lot that you can see. Um, uh, just go to at Connor Habib on Twitter and you can link to my blog through my profile there. And there's information on how to hire me as a lecturer at your university or organization because I talk about porn, sex, um, sexuality and culture um, and spirituality as well. And I also do you like writing teaching so that's on there as well i do workshops sometimes and i do events but you know mostly it's just just look on the web i have stuff coming out i have a series of essays coming out on my blog about sexual th thinkers who had sexually radical thoughts throughout culture and that's going to be cross-referenced on reality sandwich um so they're going to have it and i'm going to have it on my blog and there's going to be a series of about um seven or eight of them um and so that's just the next thing but that's just a little project i'm just doing for myself because it's interesting to me so um and please feel free to reach out and say hello. I answer every email I get, although it takes me a long time. Um, I respond to every single one as long as it's not cuckoo crazy. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It was amazing to talk to you about so much shit. I'm happy that we're both in LA, dude. Connor. Peace out, everyone. Donate to MediaRoots.org and have a great day.
Simple 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 Simple